This morning, I want to start out with maybe a simple question for most of us, but also maybe a very difficult one. How do we define what love really is? How do we define love? I mean, we could have played that song, you know, what is love? But obviously, I don't sing for a living, guys. Um, you know, there, there's multiple all these songs. You know, one of uh, personal artist favorites, Taylor Swift, has a ton of songs about love and the reality of love. And I think that question is, is what is love? How is love expressed is one that we've wrestled with personally as, as humanity and probably all of us in some capacity or another have wrestled with. And it brings me back to um, the, the Saturday night I actually proposed to court. And uh, it, I had this whole plan. I had, I had it down to a T, right? I was, um, <laughs> I planned it actually that morning. <laughs> and uh, it was after playing hockey with my buddies that uh, we were in the dressing room and we're taking all of our hockey gear off and smelly and sweaty. And I, I looked up at some of my buddies and I was like, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm going to propose tonight. <laughs> and they're like, you just made that decision right now? I was like, yeah, I did. And uh, it, I had it down to a T. I, I, I was going to have her come over, and I, I made dinner, and um, I, was, I was too cheap to actually have, like, actual fireplace, so I put one of those, like, on the screen. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, we had this, like, dinner by the fireplace, and then I, I, I snuck her skates into my car when I picked her up, and so I was like, we're going to go ice skating, and we get downtown, and we're carrying around our skates, and uh, before we went and hit the ice, I was like, you know, it'd be really sweet to do one of those carriage rides. You know what I'm talking about? And so we went, and uh, we, we get on this carriage ride, and everything is going so great. It's just us two. It was one of those nights that it was, it was a winter night in January, so it was like cold, but it wasn't too cold. It still was like an enjoyable night, and the whole carriage ride, Courtney was just on this like almost cloud nine. And then we get done with the carriage ride. And I'm not joking you. She might deny this, but like her whole entire demeanor shifted. It was almost like, really, dude? We went on this carriage ride. This was the perfect chance. Just us. And you didn't do it? And then we're skating in Rosa Park Circle on a Saturday night. If you've ever been ice skating downtown Grand Rapids, on a Saturday night, you know that it is full of people, right? So I decide that Rosa Park Circle is the prime location in the middle of the whole entire ice rink to get down on one knee and propose. Now, what you may not have known is when Courtney and I were dating and when we were talking about engagement and everything, she really only had one request, and it was, don't make it where there's like a ton of people that would see us. I kind of forgot that. <laughs> and so here I am, middle of Rose Park Circle on one knee, and uh, thankfully she said yes. And, and here we are uh, this year in September, we'll be celebrating nine years of marriage. And so it's been one of those things for me of thinking back of, well, what is love? How do I know that I'm in love? How do I show love? Because like love in that moment, uh, down on one knee and, and her standing there and in that moment, it was essentially saying, like, from this moment on, we're, we're 
going to be connected. I will, I will love you from this moment on and you will be the only man for me and you will be the only woman for me. Love. And, and for the most part, we all would agree with that. But what about when things shift in your family dynamics? One of my favorite actors, Ryan Reynolds, and one of my favorite actresses, Blake Lively, ended up marrying each other. One of the most enjoyable things that I like doing is looking at their Instagram pages because they absolutely dog on each other nonstop. And, and one of the things that, uh, as I was thinking about this message, Ryan Reynolds was sitting on a late night host, and they were talking about one of his movies coming out, and it just so happened that his wife just gave birth a few days ago. And so they were talking about, you know, Ryan, how is your marriage? How is Blake? How is the baby and everything? And how, how is everything? Like, how do you know what you know about this baby so much? And he's talking about love. And as he responds, he, he's like, you know, I used to say to Blake, my wife, that I would take a bullet for you, babe. I could never love anything as much as I love you. And we're like, oh, that's so sweet. And then he continues on. But the second I looked into that baby's eyes, I knew in that exact moment that if we were ever under attack, I would use my wife as a human shield to protect that baby. <laughs> How quickly like that might have shifted. And for some of us, we laugh and we can joke about it because we know that the reality is he, he would never do that. I would never do that. We would do anything for those that we love, right? Anything. It doesn't matter how big the stakes might be. It doesn't matter how hard it might be. We would do anything for those that we love deeply. And, and I think we have to move away from this cultural reality or thought process that love is just these warm, fuzzy feelings that you get. To there's, there's a deep, deep, deep movement in your heart when you truly understand what love is. Like if I were to look at my wife on my wedding day and standing at the altar and I confess my vows to her and my love to her, but then I never say those words ever again for the past nine years. Or if I never serve her out of love. If I never try and care for her when she's sick or when she's down. If I only say those words, I love you at the altar, but I never say them again, how much love would she really know? Or what about our kids? <clears throat> what if I tell them the very first time that they're able to kind of understand language and form words? What if I, that's the only time I look at them and I say, you know, hey, Ken, Cash, I love you so much. But then I never care for them. I don't really give them clothes to wear or food to eat or a home to sleep in. I, I don't provide for them. How much love would my kids feel? And it leads me to this moment, this realization that how do we understand love and, and what is love? And I think it comes down to, for me, it comes down to this, is that the greatest act of love is sacrificing your own self for the sake of others. It's giving up control to love one another. When you get married, there are certain things you give up control over. The TV remote, fridge space, interior decorating. I give up control 
over to Courtney for how to do some of those things like interior decorating. If it were up to me, our walls would be bare or maybe have the occasional duct taped Marvel movie poster on it. But if you peel duct tape off of painted walls, it doesn't go well. I give up control over certain stuff. The greatest act of love though is giving up control of your own self for the sake of others. And if you've been around the church in your life, you know that this is not a new concept or, or a new reality. You know that this is not a brand new thing that we're talking about today. But rather, rather, <clears throat> rather there's multiple different moments that we're going to look at in Jesus' life where he modeled this to perfection. Modeled this to perfection. See, Christ modeled this great love in his life and not just his death, but also his life. If you return to uh, Turn uh, to John 15 with me. Um, this is what it says in John 15. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Because there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Love one another in the same way I have loved you. Because there's no greater way to do that than to lay down your life for one's friend. In this moment, we understand that Christ is about to be led down the process of going to the garden, being betrayed. We understand the, the things that are about to happen shortly after this. And he talks about loving one, oneself so much that you can lay down your life for your friends. Christ could have redeemed humanity in a snap of a finger. Christ could have also redeemed humanity with just a word that he spoke. But instead, instead, he chose to model extreme love, radical love, countercultural love, through his act of dying for us. Dying for us while we were still far away. Dying for us while we were still sinning actively. Dying for us while we were wandering and questioning and doubting everything. Christ modeled love that way instead of the simple way. He easily could have just snapped his fingers. He easily could have just said, you know what? Like, let's just redeem all humanity. Don't worry about it. Everything's taken care of. But instead, he chose to model love through his life and, and his death and resurrection through the cross and the tomb. And if you would go back just two chapters previously in John 13, it's, it's interesting because he says basically the same exact words. In John 13, this is... He's washing his disciples' feet. And this is what he says, John 13, 34 through 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So here Jesus is and he says, I'm giving you this new commandment. It's not like this brand new idea. It's not this brand new reality. But rather when he says this new commandment, it's new to the school of Christ in and of itself. It's new because this is so countercultural. This is so opposite of what the world says. And when he gets down as the master and is washing his disciples' feet, and he gives this new commandment, he's saying, we're flipping everything upside down, and you are called to participate in loving as I love you right now. And don't miss this. He says, love as I have loved. And not only in John 15, but John 13 as well. Love as I have loved. There's a degree of true intimacy 
in deep love in that statement. And it's a degree that is greater than what most would have been used to. This is unheard of for the master to get down and wash the feet of his followers. It is unheard of for the master, the rabbi, the teacher to sit with the sinners and care for them. This is unheard of to do what Jesus has done and is doing. There's a deep sense of intimacy, but there's also a deep sense of this is so different. We don't know what to do with this. In John 15, he not only says, do as I have done, love as I have loved, but he says to lay down your life for one's friends. Jesus calls the 12 his friends. Again, so unheard of for the teacher to call his followers his friends. Jesus is flipping the script. It's not just servants or even followers, but rather friends. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things. There's a deep intimacy that I have with my friendships. They know stuff about me that many people don't. And they still walk with me daily through stuff that many people would abandon me in. There's a deep intimacy with our friendships. The love that we have for each other. And as he's instructing this, this is, this is multiple times where Jesus modeled this even after, even after saying these words. Where Jesus gives up control to show his radical love. In Matthew 26, one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, if I deliver Jesus over to you? So what did they do? They counted out 30 pieces of silver. So let me, let me get this straight. One of Jesus's closest buddies, one of Jesus's closest followers, one of Jesus's homies that did life together with him for the past three years, goes to the religious elite and says, yo, I know you want his head. I know you want him dead. What's it worth to you? 30 pieces of silver? That'll do. Jesus doesn't get control over that moment. Jesus rather gives up control in that moment. What about in Matthew, again, 26, 36, and 40? Then Jesus went with his disciples to, his, to a place called Gethsemane, and he, and he said to them, sit here while I go and pray. And he returns to see his disciples fast asleep. Hold up, hold up. Again, these guys that did life with him for the past three years, Jesus just makes one simple request. Would you sit here and pray for me as I go over there and pray? Would you sit here and wait? And they can't even stay awake. In that moment, in that moment. So, so here Jesus is in this deep state of depression and anxiety and pressure in his life to the place where he is sweating blood, dripping blood literally from his pores. And the closest ones to him can't even stay awake. He doesn't get control in that situation. He gives it up. In Matthew's gospel, it continues on. So then they spit in his face, struck him with their fists. Others slap him and say, prophesy to us, Messiah, who just hit you? So here we are again, Jesus, before the religious leaders, and they're mocking him. 
They're taunting him. They're hitting him. They're insulting him. The, the religious leaders, the religious light, the one who are supposed to be setting an example for everybody to follow, they're the ones that are spitting in his face. They're the ones that are punching him and mocking him. Jesus doesn't have control in that situation. Rather, he gives up control willingly to show his great love. Again, it continues on. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl comes up to him. Hey, you, you, yes, you, you were with him. You were with that Jesus. And without missing a beat, what does Peter do? He denies it. No, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Oh, oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. One who intimately did life with Jesus. He was one of the three, one of the closest inner circle. One who loved Jesus so deeply and Jesus loved him so deeply. He denies even knowing you. Jesus doesn't have control in that situation. Rather, he gives it up to show his great love. What about the governor's soldiers taking Jesus into the courtyard? And they gather the whole entire company of soldiers around him, stripping him, put a scarlet robe on him. They twist together the crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt down in front of him, mocking him. Hail, hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him and take the staff and strike him in the head again and again and again. Jesus doesn't have control in that situation. Rather, he gives up control to model, to model great love. When they crucified him, the soldiers sat there casting lots for his garments. They strip you naked. They humiliate you in only the way that they can. And they crucify you. You have no control of that situation. In John 19, when Jesus just cries out three words, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. The one who was present at the very beginning and shaping the rivers and, and winding them through the garden. The one who was present all throughout history as, as the Red Sea opened wide. The one who was present over all of things, all of creation, all of the water itself cries out on the cross, I am thirsty. And the son of God, the son of man, the, the I am, the great I am, cannot even give himself a simple sip of something to drink. He made himself nothing. Nothing. Jesus comes to us and came to us as a God, as the God, control free, in the form of a helpless baby. How do you show love? You give up control. The greatest act of love is sacrificing your own self for the sake of others. 
It's giving up control to love one another. And Christ was incredibly generous with his love. Christ was incredibly generous that he even gave up his life. Rich Velados, I, I love, love the way he puts it. This is what he says. He says, the, generous, the generosity of God cannot be manipulated. And the, generous, the generosity that we practice and we live out of is our maturity in the faith. When we take the mentality and the position of Christ, when we take the position and the posture of Christ, we then begin to live out of a generous lifestyle. We're generous in our love. We're generous in our grace, our forgiveness. We're generous in our relationships. We're generous with our things. When we take the posture of Christ as, as a, a generous person who was so generous with his love and his grace and his mercy, we begin to reflect that. The cross was a proclamation. The cross was a proclamation of the greatest act of love ever. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the cross in those days, the Roman culture and, and even the Jewish culture would see the cross as, as a symbol of radical defeat. They'd see the cross as a symbol of finally this, whoever is hanging on this cross. Ah, there are still nails in there. <laughs> hanging on this cross. They have been defeated. They have lost the fight. They have lost the battle. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. When I go to this cross, when these nails are in my wrists and my feet, when the thorns are buried deep into my skull, when I'm hanging on that cross, it is not a cross of defeat. It is a cross of radical love that is so countercultural that you have never seen or understood this act of love before, but you will. You will. Because it was the proclamation of the greatest act of love ever. Christ sacrificing himself for the love of all of us. It was the moment where the defender of the weak becomes weak and defenseless. It's the moment where the one who covers all becomes naked and exposed. It's the one who cares for all becomes helpless and needing care himself. It's, it, it's the moment where the one who holds it all together desires to be held tightly. It's the mystery of the incarnation that Jesus didn't just tell us to love one another because that would be very easy. That's what all the cultural gods do. They tell you what to do and then you go do it. But rather here Jesus says, no, I'm going to tell you to love one another, but let me tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm going to put on flesh and bones and blood piercing through my veins and I'm going to show you how to do it. This is the radical moment of the incarnation. That Jesus didn't just say it. God didn't just say it and proclaim it and put it out there. But rather he said, I can model it for you. I'm going to come in the form of a baby. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to scrape my knees. I'm going to bleed as a little child. I'm going to nurse from my mom and my dad. They're going to care for me. And I'm going to show you what it means to love radically through your life because I'm going to do it with you. He didn't just tell us to love one another. Instead, he put on flesh and bones and blood, and he showed it to us. 
What does it mean for God to become flesh? It means he modeled exactly how love works. It means that physical presence matters. Jesus' life shows us that being with people matters. And being present in places matter. Because when we're present, when we're present, it shows great love. Some of the greatest moments in my spiritual journey were moments where people just sat with me and were just present. Moments where I was so broken, so shattered and confused even, and, and they didn't have all the right words, and instead all they did is they sat with me and put their arm around me. They held me. Being present matters. It always has. Because there's many men and women in my life that modeled that for me, of what it means to just be present and love in your presence. I've told, you know, a little bit of it before, but like I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. I knew the Bible stories. I sang the songs. I didn't get kicked out of Sunday school every Sunday, just occasionally. Like I, I went to church. I did the church thing. But then there's this moment where life begins to twist and turn and boulders begin to fall and struggles become really apparent in life. And I started to question God. I started to question the church. If God is so good, why is this happening in my life? If the church really is a good bride of Christ, why does it feel like she's not loving my family right now? But then there was men and women who who truly walked with me through all of that. And they were present. They were present. They were present in the moments at youth group where I was struggling and confused about God. They were present. And many times they would ask even the simple questions of like, do you want me to help you understand that? Or do you want me just to listen? Do you want me to help you fix that? Or you want me just to listen and let you vent? Their presence mattered in those moments. Their presence mattered in the moments at 2.30 a.m. on a survivor retreat, sitting by a fire, listening to the birds and, and the water crashing and, and the coyotes and howling. Like their presence matters at 2.30 in the morning as I'm weeping by this fire and I'm, I'm trying to understand God and all of his great love. And as they sit next to me by this fire and they say, you know, God has never stopped loving you in these moments, even through all your doubt and your confusion and your questions. At 2, 3 a.m. as I'm accepting Jesus, their presence matters in the moment because that's how I knew they loved me. And that's how I knew Jesus loved me. Because he made sure somebody was present with me in my questions, present with me in my doubt, present with me in, in all my struggles. And I think sometimes we maybe give off this false image or this false idea that when you accept Jesus in your life, everything's going to change. And it's going to be rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. I'm still waiting on the rainbows, the butterflies, and the unicorns. But what I've discovered is when I accepted Jesus in my life and started to walk with him in my life, 
I may not have seen the rainbows of butterflies or unicorns, but I saw a radical love through the people that were in my life because he brought them there to show his radical love to me. I had hope. I had hope for a new tomorrow. I had hope for today. Everything didn't change in that moment. But what did change is my perception and my understanding of God's radical love for me. I started to see the greatest act of love that Christ sacrificed for me and he desires to embrace me. And I think many in our world desire to experience God's love. Many in our world desire to experience this radical love, this deep love on an intimate level. But to do this, we have to do what he did. We have to give up control in our lives. It's never failed to shock me that God who created the Grand Canyon, God who created the, the atmospheres and the stars and the sky and, and the sun and everything, that he can do whatever he wants, including creating a world where they can choose to say no to him. An all-creating God, an all-powerful God chose to create a world and people like me and you who could choose to say no to him. That baffles me. Because here God is, he, he could have forced us to love him. He could have forced us to worship him. But instead, he gives us the choice to say yes or no. When, and he, we give up control when we extend our, to, to somebody else. When we extend ourselves to somebody else and they can choose to say yes or no. You give up control when you extend yourself to somebody and they have the power to say yes or no. So as Josh comes up and as we close, I just have maybe one simple question. What's your answer to his invitation? What is, what is your answer to his invitation? Are you willing to truly give up control in your life? Because God showed great love when he gave up himself, knowing that we may say no. Because it's far more than just forgiveness. The cross was an act of radical generosity and love. And it broke the back and the weight of all of our guilt and shame. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how do you experience God's love personally? You give up control. You give up control over how you love others. Instead, you embrace the way Christ loves you give up control over your motives, your ideas for life, and you embrace his calling and his desires for you. You give up control over what you may think is right or even wrong, and rather you embrace his model of embracing those who may never embrace us back. You give up control. How do you experience his love personally? You die to yourself to live in him. So what and where do you need a sacrifice today? Where in your life do you have to give up control 
to totally understand and totally see and walk in his radical love for you in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come, we acknowledge that we are, we are broken. As we come, we acknowledge that we have hurts, we have pains, we have hang-ups. Father, I just ask that we would just come to you with all of those things. And that you would greet us, that you would greet us with a warm embrace. As we walk with our bags in hand, that you would take them and you would throw them to, your, to the side and that you would just embrace us. And that we would hear your gentle whisper of, my child, you're, you're home, you're here. Welcome. That we would feel the warmth of your embrace as you hold us and we would understand deeply that your love is great. Your love is kind. And it goes deep for us. So Lord, as we just come, we come with our, the keys to our life in our hands, just giving them to you. That you have full control over our, our lives, our hearts, our desires. And Lord, I ask that you would give us the boldness to give you that control. For some of us, maybe that's control over our addictions, control over our habits. For others of us, maybe it's control that we seek to have over our relationships our family members. And for others of us, even maybe it's control over our jobs, our, our purpose. Wherever we may be today, Lord, whatever we may have been seeking to control, I ask that right now in this moment, Lord, we would turn it over to you and that we would embrace your cross, embrace your message, embrace your heart. Lord, help us to love like you love. To willingly sacrifice. Lay down our pride. Lay down our egos. Lay down our life to show others and point others back to you. We pray this in your name, Lord.